Hey everyone, it's the Lady J, and you're listening to my new podcast, I Never Told You What I Do for a Living. This week, I'm joined by my friend Miss Mary Lou to talk about her career trajectory from being a little girl with a microphone wanting to be Britney Spears when she grows up, all the way through to what she does now with her incredible YouTube channels. She's on Twitch, she's got a new podcast. Mary is hilarious and always cracks me up, but she offers a lot of really great insight in this episode too, talking about where her drive and her motivation comes from and also what inspires her. So enjoy this episode. It's a little bit longer than some of the other ones, but I didn't want to cut anything out because it was all just too great. So we'll do hashtags and handles and stuff at the end. And in the meantime, enjoy I Never Told You What I Do For A Living, episode five with Miss Mary Lou, the voice actor. So, Miss Mary Lou, how are you? Hello, Jay. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm fantastic. As we record this, it is Friday, so I am technically on break, which is great. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for coming and talking to me about what you do. I like to start these interviews out by asking the same question. As far back as you can remember, what did you want to be when you grew up? When you were really, really little, like the very first thing that you ever wanted to be when you grew up. I wanted to be Britney Spears, I think. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so and what kind of Britney Spears would you say like like hit me baby one more time Britney Spears I I think probably like second album incarnation Britney Spears like still wholesome to an extent but like belly button rings were in at the time so like I just I wanted to be like this pop star that performed on stage and just got to sing for a bunch of people that's pretty good yeah so I so yes I suppose uh, touring Britney Spears is was my first ideal uh, job at the age of eight probably like lucky Britney Spears yes that was my favorite song on the entire album I no joke I choreographed a whole music video in my bedroom and like the lyrics start with early morning she wakes up and I would like be in bed and then start singing and pull the covers off dramatically and then like pretend to cry in her lonely heart. It's a whole thing. (laughs) You opened a whole can of worms you didn't even realize. No, I love it. I mean, frankly, the last like couple of people responded with inanimate objects So this is a really good and very different answer. So what were you doing when you were eight years old besides choreographing music videos in your bedroom to pursue this dream of being Britney Spears? Um, Well, I started taking voice lessons when I was super, super young. And I started singing publicly in a concert sort of setting also around that age, like, you know, like little local church gigs or someone that I knew in another town or something would arrange for me to come and sing. So I was definitely a singer since I was itty bitty, teeny, teeny, tiny. Like some of the first presents I can remember getting for Christmas were like microphones, like just crappy kids microphones. We eventually got a karaoke machine. And yes, you better believe we had a Britney Spears CD with lyrics 
I was so excited. Not that I was like singing at these gigs like Britney Spears, but I just, I was like, yeah, she does that. I want to do that. And I probably told everyone that I wanted to do that. And I sang everywhere and anywhere. <laughs> Actually, a funny story that just popped up in my brain, in my noggin. There were auditions in fourth grade for this solo in fourth grade chorus. And I was not afraid at all. I did not know what nerves were and singing because I just, I loved it. I did it all the time. It wasn't really anything significant. And I went up there and I auditioned for the first out of three solos, which was the longest. So I just went up there and sang it. And I was like, eh, no big deal. We're done. And then I watched all of my classmates audition and they were so nervous and jittery. And in my little mind, I was like, oh, oh, am I supposed to pretend to be nervous so as the subsequent two solo auditions came up for me I pretended to be more and more nervous each time <laughs> so that's a weird interesting habit but yeah I just done it so much it didn't seem anything to be afraid of I have a very hard time picturing you as being nervous singing in front of people yeah I got over that I think you know I get good butterflies but it's mostly Mostly excitement, I think, at this point. So that's good. So how about once you were a little bit older, like late middle school or high school age, when people are starting to say to you, like, what do you want to do with your life, right? We're, especially in the United States, we sort of force people at a, in my opinion, inappropriately young age to start making some pretty crucial decisions about the trajectory of the rest of their life. Like, how are you going to pick a college if you don't know what job you want to have? And you're like, I'm 15. Uh, so I, again, it was pretty much music centric kind of stuff. Like I had a friend, a, a family friend who was like, you're going to study music in school. Let me teach you how to play the piano. Or I was kind of torn in a different couple areas of music at that time. So the Britney Spears part of the dream had kind of faded, but I really loved singing and knew hopefully I wanted to incorporate that somehow in furthering my education. But I was also a concert flautist. Um, I performed at like the area all state level and all that stuff and the all kinds of fancy things. I did flute and piccolo. Anything that's kind of a whistly sort of thing, I can pick up and just kind of figure out how that works. Um, and I really debated for a while whether I wanted to study voice or I wanted to study the flute in school. Uh, and then, of course, there were always those few, few people in my life who were like, but you're so smart, though. You should, like, be a vet or something or be in the medical profession somehow, because why wouldn't you? Because you're smart. And I was like, I don't think that would make me happy. So I kind of had the sense from a really, really early age that I needed to be doing something creative because imagining myself doing anything else just made me feel really sad. <laughs> you knew you wanted to do something with music were you, and you were still doing things outside of school that were involved with music as well. Yeah, uh, still taking voice lessons. I had branched out, um, not just taking musical theater and classical voice-based voice lessons. I was also taking jazz voice lessons. I got really into jazz in high school 
And I was taking flute lessons for a few years in high school as well. I was doing the summer musicals in the next town over over the summer uh, and stuff like that. So I was always, always looking for different opportunities to... I guess I just really wanted to do it. And even though I was in, you know, all the choirs in school and stuff, I was like, more, <laughs> must, must have more. And did you have any other hobbies? Like, were you, was there anything that you were doing besides, because obviously you were working really hard on those things. Like, did you try drawing or anything like that? Um, I had to make the decision, which is kind of a crappy decision now that I think about it. When I went from junior high into high school, you couldn't take accelerated language and you couldn't take band and chorus at the same time as any art class. They all overlapped with those classes. Um, So I kind of had to give up any sort of art inclinations I had moving from eighth grade to ninth grade. Um, And then also at the same time, until partway through high school, I was a competitive Irish dancer as well, which was very time consuming. I don't know how I did all of that, but I, I certainly loved it. And, you know, you're rehearsing outside of school, you're rehearsing at home, and then you travel, uh, you travel sometimes internationally to compete as a dancer. So, and my mother would bake my show costumes and the, the big hair and glued socks to my shins and the whole whole shebang. <laughs> How long did you do that for? Oh, gosh. I think I probably did it I, until I was about 14, I think. So I did it for, I had a good run. I had a pretty, pretty good run. And I remember thinking at the time, at, at like eight years old, uh, dancing competitively I would be like oh gosh I wish I started one sooner like if only I had started when I was like five I could be so much farther now <laughs> which is like oh man to always to even at that young age to be like you're too old but I'm eight though I digress anywho so yeah I did competitive Irish dancing as well so you were a clearly driven person even when you were really young because you just named like 15,000 things that you were doing when you were in middle school and high school and I was not doing that many things I was busy which I think again is like a that's an American thing is we keep kids really busy in case they god forbid get creative and you know, have an imagination, but whatever. I don't know why I'm being so grouchy about being American. It's really not that bad. (laughs) It's okay. It's all right. I just talked about this on my podcast this week that launched. Oh, really? Yeah. There's this book I'm reading called The Tao of Pooh, and it's about how Winnie the Pooh himself is a Taoist master, and all of the different characters represent different um, pitfalls that humans can fall into. And there's one chapter circled uh centered around rabbit and it's called busy Baxin, and it's about all of the i'm busy back soon people who run around all day and never quite get anywhere or accomplish anything that they're looking for and busyness is held in this super high place for some reason like it doesn't even matter to people what you're doing or how productive you are with your time just as long as you're like oh well I've been really busy they're like oh that's really good or growing up going to music school and having everyone brag about how many hours a day they practiced in a practice room actually torturing themselves like you can't actually be productive for 
eight hours in a row and just like oh the busy Baxin culture is just insane and I know what it's like to be rabbit and it's not fun I would much rather like work when I'm actually productive and you get more done and you're a lot happier that way so yeah I 100% agree we were just talking about the fact that I've been very sick for the last too many days and that meant that I was working from home which can be good because it means nobody's people have to go out of their way to um, contact you right they have to like message you or whatever instead of just shouting your name across the office or what have you but it also meant that I could kind of be MIA when I wanted to because I'm not being bothered by people and sort of taking that time to say like you know what my body is not cool right now I'm just gonna do nothing like there I'm not I don't owe anyone anything like I'm not behind I can take you know 20 minutes and just kind of sit here with a book or turn the light off and just close my eyes not necessarily fall asleep but just relax everything and calm down and not have my brain running 20,000 miles an hour so and that's very hard because we are programmed to be busy backsons (laughs) yep rabbit that's true all programmed to be rabbit and it's you know coming from this intuitive place right because that's really the goal is to be able to listen to yourself and know what you need and do it when you need to and don't when you don't it sounds simple but yeah so I've been learning a lot about life from Winnie the Pooh lately (laughs) I think that's great I think we could all learn a little bit from Winnie the Pooh although I would advise wearing pants whenever possible (laughs) true true But, you know, you pick and choose the lessons that you take away. So, Mary Lou, how did you decide on where to go to school after high school? Well, I had initially, I had settled on, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to study musical theater. And I applied to a bunch of different colleges, all of which I couldn't afford. It was during the Great Recession And, you know, I literally, my parents brought in a financial advisor to talk to me for an hour and a half about how I couldn't afford any of the schools I wanted to go to. Um, So I auditioned anyway for a bunch and I did put a state school in there because like financially it was a good option. A lot of people that went to my high school went on to study music at this school and It turns out that was the only program I got into for musical theater and not just for like voice performance or academics. So it was the decision was kind of made for me. I was a little upset about it at the time because I'm like, everyone goes to Fredonia to study music. I wanted to do something different, blah, blah, blah. Um, But I didn't have to have any more really depressing and like kind of derogatory chats with people telling me I couldn't afford to pursue my dreams. Uh, So I guess it in the end (laughs) uh, was a good thing. So yeah, it ended up being my default school. And how did you come to the decision that musical theater was what you wanted to pursue and not just straight up voice? Uh, My parents had started to put me into different summer theater workshop programs and as when I started to get into the oh wait you can combine singing this thing that I've loved for so long with 
telling a story. And I was like, this is the best thing ever. And I was so starved for it. And I just like insatiably devoured every bit of musical theater I could get my hands on. So it just, I wanted it to be my life. I wanted it to be my everything because it was my everything. And why wouldn't I want to like immerse myself in that culture? Um, And I did have the option even from Fredonia to, uh, because I was accepted into their vocal performance program, even though I did not audition, which I was like, oh, okay, that's very nice. But I really want to do musical theater, though. So I could have just studied straight classical music. And I did still choose to study classical music with a focus, but I really, really wanted that acting education as well. So I decided to not take the invite to join the vocal performance program and do musical theater. And what was that experience like? Besides the fact that you met me, which was of course the greatest gift of all. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Yeah, we met my freshman year we did a play together that was kind of all of the the things we're doing right now (laughs) we were all of like the department weirdos and yeah it was a play about a radio show (laughs) a radio talk show so oh the irony i never thought of that before i didn't either until just now and that's brilliant yeah Except this time, I'm not pretending to stick my hand down a garbage disposal and you're not whacking your doggies. (laughs) That was a great accent. I'm really proud of a lot of... I wish there was a recording of that because I was pretty proud of the work that we put into that because it was really hard. Because there was no... I think sometimes people forget that when you're not... Your physical body isn't engaged. Sometimes it's hard to shift from one one beat to the next beat because there's there's no physical cue you don't get up and go anywhere everything is just a bunch of us in our pajamas backstage <laughs> in front of a microphone so oh yeah literally in our pajamas I definitely have pictures proving that I wore those Eeyore pajama pants see there's the Winnie the Pooh thing again I know I know it's amazing it's just so good. Uh, but yeah, college was college was what I made it, which some college programs don't really have room for that. Like some of the other more conservatory type places I had been auditioning. I didn't realize at the time how bad of a fit that would have been because I went in and I was like, hey, I've been studying voice for a super long time and I really want to get into the nitty gritty, etc. So I was able to pick up a concentration in classical voice. I not only took the like major level theories i like tutored the major level theory courses for the actual music majors and i was like that weird in-between kid who hung out in the music building and also the theater building i was the weird crossover kid but it led to some really cool stuff like i got to assistant direct one of the operas I got to do a vocal performance recital and if if there were any theater kids looking to do more voice things I was kind of the liaison like oh I know how to register and sign up a space I know a teacher that we can talk to or if any of the other 
more like musical kids wanted to do something more theater involved like I even did um, concerto competition acting coaching and blocking um, and stuff like that so I really enjoyed being the in-betweener and I was definitely way too busy um, trying to balance everything especially because a lot of the things in the music department and the theater department overlap in unfortunate ways but I'm really, really glad that I did that because I I wouldn't have gotten nearly what I wanted if I hadn't made the space for that. Or even my senior year, for example, we were down a few faculty members, so there were a lot less acting opportunities for the seniors going in. Like, we just didn't have a lot of classes to, ch- to choose from. So I chose to reach out to a professor and I was like, hey, can I help you teach the freshman class? Because I've never seen, I've never seen them teach a freshman class before. Like, what the heck does your intro to acting look like? And then also getting practice working with younger students that are learning and taking someone else's curriculum, but also fitting it into my own and that was probably as good of an acting education as I got. <laughs> and that that was because I was like, oh, pickings for classes are super slim. I guess I'll make a class. So after, and, and how many shows did you do when you were at Fredonia? Do you remember? Main stage productions, like official, official department productions put on, I think I was only in three or four. I was always the kid. I I got called back. I literally got called back for every single production the entire time at Fredonia that I was there for the main stage series, but I only got cast just a few times. But that opened up a lot of space for me to do student productions, for me to spearhead different projects, to be involved in different student spearheaded projects. So if you add up like, oh gosh, official main stage productions, plus fully fleshed out student productions, not even including, I did a lot of different concert series, which if you think about everything I just talked about makes a lot of freaking sense. Um, (laughs) I was a lot, lot, but only three official things, but a lot. (laughs) What was your favorite out of all of them? Probably, oh man, I have to give it to, there was a student run production, uh, a concert done by Lauren Gismondi that was a Sondheim review concert and I hadn't really discovered Sondheim yet and she opened that gateway for me and I haven't looked back since. Which is hilarious when you think about it right because like in terms of vocal range and things like that like you were you were created to sing Sondheim really yeah yeah it's kind of amazing (laughs) I like my mind was just so blown and just like the the way that he writes and I really enjoy things like text-based approach and also music analytics as far as half rests are there for a reason whole rests are there they basically if a composer does it well they orchestrate exactly what that person is thinking and feeling and doing all in the score and then you add the lyrics on top of that and that's an even bigger clue and Sondheim loves to do things like the vocal line will say one thing and then he'll put 
uh, melodic structure underneath it that sends a completely different message. And uh, yes, yes, it's a really good fit. <laughs> it's a really good fit for me. So when you were at Fredonia thinking about your future, because there comes a point in that journey where that happens, where you're like, oh shit, I'm going to graduate. <laughs> and then what happens? While you were at Fredonia, what were you thinking that you would do when you were graduating? Did you think you would go on to do a master's degree? Did you think I'm just going to go and like straight up audition for Broadway until I get hired somewhere? What, what was your your plan for when you graduated? Not necessarily what you did, but what was your plan for when you graduated? My plan, thinking back on it now, was kind of a hot mess because there was this whole thing like my studio voice teacher, she said to me the first time she heard me sing, she's like, I want you to think about grad school for opera. And then it was like, well, is opera going to be a thing then? Because that's also like theater and story meets singing and I hadn't really been exposed to a lot of opera before and it is now one of if not my most favorite art form however as the course of things went on because of the conflict the sheer conflict of schedule I couldn't be in the opera scenes and get that experience because of scheduling I couldn't actually do the operas because of scheduling I couldn't do this because of scheduling 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 and it was the scheduling also then started to stem from, I was in almost exclusively straight plays. I was not in the big musicals. I was not cast in these things, not until my senior year. Uh, and sort of by happenstance, my acting education got a little bit more attention than pursuing opera. So by the time I got halfway through college, I was like, I don't know. I don't know what I want to do. So I don't, I never, I had thought about doing the New York thing, but everyone that heard me sing was always commenting on how my voice was a lot older than I looked. And in musical theater, I started to realize the archetypes are very few. There's very few character types of people and it's very much in a box for a lot of musical theater kind of stuff that's being put on these huge stages in New York and I was like well I look like I at the time I was like well I look like I'm 16 but I sound like a leading lady what is anyone going to do with that so I you know studied the music that was great for my voice in college and even by the time it got around to senior year I went to the workshops in New York and did the whole thing. And they're like, oh, yeah, you sound like you should be playing these roles, but you're so baby-faced. And I struggled with being a gray area person for a little while. And I mean, like, I can change my voice. But that's no fun. <laughs> I was, I'm not going to go into these New York workshops faking a younger sound because that's what I would need to do to to get my foot in the door. It just didn't feel right. So it's kind of weird thinking about it that Broadway, Broadway was never really a thing because it was, oh, maybe grad school for opera. And then I don't really fit into musical theater in modern day Broadway kind of sense. I don't know what I'm going to do. Probably by the time we got to junior year, I had no clue. So what did you actually do when you graduated? I started to think about all this gray area stuff and I felt like I really wanted to test my chops outside of a collegiate setting because 
things are very different in that microcosmos. So on a whim, I auditioned for a local Shakespeare company in the city, the closest city outside of college, and I got the part, which I was not anticipating, uh, but it was it was wacky and wonderful, and I love, love Shakespeare. So that kind of dictated when the rest of the auditions in the area came around for the upcoming season, I was like, eh, well, let me just do that. So I decided at the time to just move to Buffalo, and I ended up doing seven plays and a short film in a year so it it kept me it kept me very busy that's for sure and I think they were actually all musicals now that I'm thinking about it so it was all kind of like reversed in this strange kind of way I don't think I realized that all you did was were musicals when you were living in Buffalo. Musicals and one Shakespeare. Yeah. When you you graduate from college and you move to Buffalo and you're doing all of these these shows and like you said it kept you crazy busy. You have to work simultaneous to that, right? Like it wasn't supporting you exclusively. No, oh no. So when you're thinking about what are you going to do next? What are you going to audition for next? How do you kind of make space in your head for, okay, I have this other job that I have to keep in mind what the schedule is, or do you take jobs outside of the theater process in order to fit the schedule of rehearsals? Like, how do you make the two things fit together? It was much closer to the latter. I found jobs that were flexible enough where I could change my schedule around when I was rehearsing and performing for a show. So this led to jobs in hospitality, in the restaurant industry, stuff like that, just because I wasn't worried if all of a sudden I needed Monday through Friday off after 7 p.m. It wasn't a problem because there were other people that could cover my shifts or I would find jobs, for instance, in hospitality and I worked from like, I don't know, 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. or something like that and because no one was rehearsing at that time. And I could always make sure that if I had some kind of matinee performance, I could request it off way ahead of time and not have to worry about it. So that's how you sustained yourself when you were living in Buffalo. What made you decide to leave Buffalo? Because Buffalo, I live there too. Like Buffalo is not a bad city, but it's a small city, a very small city or a very large town, something like that. Yeah, I had decided I again I was like more ruminating about this gray area thing and I theatered myself out a bit yeah I I just I did so much in such a short amount of time that I was like I don't I just don't want to do another play it's just it's too much and I realized that Buffalo was great as far as opportunity goes. Like, it's nice to be in a community that's small enough where people know who you are and they very kindly ring you on the phone to see if you want to do this thing, which is this crazy world that I did not expect to be a part of in that way. And it was very flattering and they were very kind, but it just, it wasn't on the scale that I wanted. I didn't want to have to work showing people to their dinner tables all night long or all day long just to try to make this theater thing work. I wanted to be in a community where people were making this their full-time everything without being the person that owned the theater company and such because the only people that really made a living 
doing the arts in Buffalo at the time that I saw anyway were people who were in charge of the theater company or doing that kind of stuff. And I was not interested in opening a theater or having to build a business up in that sense. I wanted to make a living as a performer, so I needed to find somewhere to do that. So where did you go? Los Angeles. Because <laughs> I was like, well, while I'm this gray area person, I still don't quite fit in a box for New York City. And I knew what that grind was like at that point because I had so, 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 so many friends that I graduated with that were doing that thing, which is wake up at 4 a.m., hop on the subway, line up outside a theater for a non-union call, be lined up in a line and have them say, okay, all the blondes and redheads, you can go. Or it's like the firing squad, honestly. They call it a cattle call for a reason. And they only have those auditions because the union says they have to. Most of the time, those parts are already cast. Maybe they're looking for a swing occasionally. Like, not to say it doesn't happen, of course, but to wake up at 4 a.m. and to go through all of that only to be told, thanks, but no thanks, leave now without even getting to like act for someone that day. That sounded freaking miserable to me. And I was like, well, I don't fit in the boxes anyway. They need every kind of person in LA. So let's try to make that work. And also snow, screw snow. I was done with that. (laughs) Yeah, I think you had had it, especially being from further north in the state of New York than I was from, you'd had your fill of snow at that point. Yeah, it was was a lot. I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to make a change, I might as well make a change. Yeah. (laughs) Making this move to LA to pursue a lifestyle in which you would not have to work taking people to their tables. Did you feel like you had a support system in place? Like when you make a change that big, especially there's a weird thing that some people do that when you're like, I'm going to pursue my dream, you know, in the first act of the film kind of thing that people, there are just some people who still have this mindset of like, that's too radical. That's too, your head is too in the clouds. Like, why can't you just get a desk job like everybody else? And put your dream away in a box somewhere. Did you feel like you had some people who were like, that's awesome. I'm so glad that Mary Lou is getting in a car or a truck or a van or whatever it was and driving to Los Angeles to pursue this dream. Yeah, absolutely. My now fiance, Jacob, was a huge support system in that. He is an actor and writer producer himself and we were both in it together so you know it wasn't an us against the world kind of thing but it was definitely an us against all the people telling us to just get office jobs and there was a surprising amount of support from people in the buffalo theater community which i did not expect but i heard from so many of them they were like you're too good to be here don't get stuck you need to go do something bigger and better please leave we love you but please leave. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, that was very, very encouraging. They're like, if you ever want to come back, we'll be here. But uh, please, please go pursue the thing. Please go do the thing. Get get out. (laughs) So yeah, that was that was really, really nice and unexpected. (laughs) And did you you knew people who lived in Los Angeles already? I knew a few people coming from a theater centric program, obviously. Not a lot of them were in LA, but there was a super small group of alums, maybe 
three of them that I knew who were out here, but uh, one of them was a very, very good friend of mine. And we had kind of Skyped with the small but lovely Los Angeles crew. And they were like, you can stay on our couch while you look for a place. And we were like, okay, done. We're good. And there were also this alumni couple who I had Skyped with as a class, like as a class of like 13 people or something. It might have been slightly smaller. I don't remember exactly. But a part of our senior, you're going out into the world class. Uh, we Skyped from different people in different main acting hubs, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles. And there were these two alums that we had Skyped with that were part of the Los Angeles crew. And they said, if anyone is going to move to LA, have the teacher, you know, send you our email and get in touch with us. So I did that too. So I was like, okay, I know these like three humans that I actually went to school with at some point, And I have these other two humans that graduated much earlier, who've been here for much longer. So I felt like, you know, I was like, I don't know a lot of people. I had never even visited Los Angeles before. Wow. I had never been west of Wisconsin and just packed up a car with all the stuff and drove over in a little red Corolla. That's kind of very bold thinking back on it, but I, I didn't want to overthink it too much because I knew it was a thing that I really wanted. I didn't want to logic myself out of that um, out of that uh, goal. I mean, speaking as somebody who did something not nearly as drastic, but sort of similar when I moved out of my parents' house and we transitioned into having professional care for my mom, thinking back on it now, I just, I am a terribly anxious person. How the heck did I do that? I have no idea. Like I get debilitated by some of the most basic decision making now. And yet I was just like, fuck it. I'm going to pack up my car and move to Washington, D.C. See you guys later. Peace out. And did it. And I think I planned it like three weeks in advance and then just did it and, and found a place to live. And I've been in the same place for four years. Like I've been living in this house for four years. So it's it's just... There are days I wish I could, I should write it down and have it on my desk somewhere that said, once upon a time, you made a decision and acted on it three weeks later. Just shut the fuck up and do it. <laughs> I actually, I keep in my office workspace in my apartment now, the actual pages of the U.S. Atlas we used while driving across the country. And every day that we drove, I'd mark in highlighter the route we took and mark where we stayed that day and have since removed those atlas pages and I have them framed on the wall of my atlas now as a similar reminder like hey you remember when you did that crazy thing and you're like stressing about what to order in a restaurant like uh social anxiety and and anxiety and panic disorders work in uh, funny ways but yeah I didn't want to outthink myself and let and get in my own way just 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 a thing that I needed to do so how long have you been in LA now? Actually, almost exactly six years down to within like a week or so. So what happened when you got there? I had decided uh, where my fiance and I were working, we were just able to transition jobs. And we decided mostly before we even moved to LA, before we even saw LA, we were like, well, we know people in the valley in this one town, so let's live where they are because we know if we live close to people it, that we know instead of isolating ourselves it's going to be a lot 
easier and there happened to be a location of the restaurant we were working at in the town that we wanted to move to so we arranged it all ahead of time so that we knew we would have a backup plan and we also knew that headshots were expensive and all that kind of stuff so we had decided before we even made the actual transition that we wanted to take the time that we needed to get settled and feel like we had a life established so we're not trying to scrounge out like scrounge up money for headshots while we also don't have a place to live so we waited maybe six months i think before auditioning and whatnot really really got started and then that just became the thing to do for the next couple of years wake up go through your email send your stuff to agents send your stuff in to people doing projects and hopefully you get a call maybe you'd have to drive all the way to santa monica maybe not it was all just up in the air but it was nice knowing that we had somewhere to stay we had a job that we didn't have to worry about that so i i think we were very smart in that regard because i need to feel like i have some sort of stability and consistency where I'm like, I don't want to have to worry about the fact that, like, I don't know where I'm going to be living tomorrow. That stresses me out. And I knew I didn't I didn't want to have to deal with that. So, yeah, I started mostly doing short films and modeling, actually. That was a big thing that opened up for me when I moved out here that I wasn't necessarily anticipating. But it was something that just kept happening and I just rolled with it. Because my approach to things has generally been... Try to get as good as you can in a variety of things that you love and then try a bunch of it out and see what sticks. I call it the spaghetti technique. <laughs> like you just throw a bunch of pasta at the walls and you see what sticks. And I was probably most successful in short film comedy genre and modeling as well at that point. So it was uh, definitely not what I had anticipated exactly, but it, that's my cat anyway. What was the last thing I was saying? Uh, Well, I actually have two questions or just like a point to make, I guess. I think it's really important for people to recognize what their own limitations are and where you're just where you feel most comfortable. So like you just said, I didn't feel comfortable thinking I might not have some place to live tomorrow. So I need to have enough income to sustain living in X space. Right. And I'm sure there are people who are like, I can live out of my car. I don't care. But if you're not one of those people, you need to acknowledge that for yourself and then find a way to sustain that thing. Because if you're living in a situation where you're stressed out all the time because you don't know where you're going to sleep that night or whatever it is that might cause you the highest stress level, then you're never going to be successful in what it is you're trying to pursue, right? Because you're just so wound up all the time going like, fuck, where am I going to sleep? So I think it's really brilliant. And like, that's a really key piece of advice that a lot of people don't think about is not everybody's baseline is the same, but you need to be able to set up whatever your baseline is so that you can create something to the best of your ability. You have to set yourself up to be successful. Yeah, I I had been given the the advice that your apartment, like your living space is really important. And I moved out of my childhood home when I was 18. So it had already been a while and I had really gotten a sense of the importance of home specifically. 
Uh, so, you know, the apartment I lived in with co in college, it wasn't like I could just pop over and have a bedroom at mom and dad's or anything. That was not the case. So I tried to make it a home and it was my favorite place to be in college. And when we lived in Buffalo, my apartment was my favorite place to be. And so I had already had some experience doing this. So I did have some practice to realize like, oh, I really need a place to call home to make this happen for me and to be in the right mindset. The the other thing that I wanted to mention and sort of ask you about is that when you talk about the things that worked out for you when you used your spaghetti technique, I like that. I'm definitely going to use that. I will credit you. Don't worry. Is that you don't mention singing at all. Yeah. That's not a bad thing. It's not, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying like, did you forget about singing when you first moved to LA? But I think it's pretty brilliant that you weren't like, well, I wasn't getting singing jobs. So I just stopped auditioning. You were like, no, I'm just going to ride the wave. And the wave came in with modeling opportunities or with short films. And doesn't mean you aren't a singer anymore. You, you're just taking the opportunities that come your way. Yeah. And it's, Having other skills is so, so useful as an actor because I would see auditions all the time pop up where they're like, hey, we need an actor that can sing. Hey, for this audition, can you learn this piece on your instrument of choice and come in and perform it for us? So I was still using those skills, but I knew that the music industry in LA was a completely different beast and one that I was not prepared to get into. So I, yeah, spaghetti, spaghetti technique in all, all the places. Turns out you didn't actually want to be Britney Spears. After all, yeah. And that's okay. Britney had her moment. She's had, no, I love Britney. I love her so much. My favorite image of her is the one with like the giant snake wrapped around her shoulders. It's so good. How did you start Tea Time with Mary? Like, how did that become a thing? Oh, yeah, right? Because all the things that I just mentioned that I was doing in LA, I don't really do those anymore. <laughs> well, what made you stop stop auditioning? Was it doing the, the YouTube channel and then the podcast? Or did something happen first that like, what was the trajectory there from those first few years with those uh, those auditions and things? Because you still sort of do the modeling thing sometimes, right? Yeah, so... I had and I was getting some really good momentum too and then I had an injury that made it very difficult to be on set and I couldn't exercise like I used to so I was like well I guess modeling's kind of out now and I had gotten kind of oh man fashion modeling is really hard because they are very very strict uh, body specifications and I'm a thin person and I've always been a very thin person in general but I still didn't fit the body type specifications like my bust and my hips were the right size but my waist was not because I have more of an athletic build and the industry standard is something ridiculous like your waist has to be 10 inches smaller then your hips and your bust and your hips and your bust are supposed to be the same because all of these people designing clothes are using expensive materials that they want to buy the least amount of possible to experiment with and make garments. And I was kind of sick of going into all of these like LA Fashion Week calls and being looked up and down and being like, oh, so it says that you're a 2-4. And I was like, oh, that's it. I'm done. I'm not. I can't. So that the fashion fashion side of it I kind of started to focus more on beauty modeling 
So that's kind of where I was at with that. But then this injury thing happened and I was like, well, this sucks because I'm not anyone enough. And I don't know if this is just my insecurity that was talking or whatever, but I'm like, I'm nobody. No one is going to make the accommodations for me that I need. And I have to wear this like orthopedic device 24-7. So... I found myself spending a lot more time on the couch than I used to. And I, a few things happened. So tea time with Mary happened during this kind of period of recovery. I was contacted by a friend, Kay Karimian, and they are a brilliant human. And they approached me with this project that they were doing called Other People's Stories, where essentially they reached out to a bunch of different artists and a bunch of different mediums and was basically like, hey, let's look at how you actually make something and discover what that process is like for you and then actually make something. (laughs) So I was like, oh, I don't know. I have these limitations. I'm confined. I can't really leave my apartment on my own anymore. What the heck can I do? And the idea of creating content for YouTube came up. And I was like, huh, I could do that. And I fell down the rabbit hole of how to do it and watching a lot of that kind of content and decided, yeah, yes, I can make something that incorporates uh, being myself, whether that means I look super classy and put on some makeup that day, or I am disheveled and very silly, or I can sing, I can do this and that and whatever. And I actually did it. I have since discovered through this whole process that I have an odd knack for having an idea and actually making it happen. So that's been a very useful lesson for sure. So that's how all of that started. Are you the kind of person who, when you have an idea, you plan a lot and you research like the best tools and techniques to use? Or did you just like jump in and learn as you went? I do a combination approach. I definitely did the like, what does ISO mean? What is shutter speed? What is three point lighting? because I didn't get to take any of those classes in college. And I was doing that research and I kind of decided the bare minimum of equipment that I needed to get started. So I did that research and then just got the stuff. And from there, I was like, well, YouTube was a bit of a different place at a time. And I was like, well, I can record on my phone. And you would still never know that I recorded it on my phone because I invested. I got a microphone and I got some lights, some soft boxes. And then when I decided, yeah, this is the thing I really want to do, I then decided to put my some savings into investing in a better camera. So lots of planning involved, sure. Designed the logo, made a little jingle thinger and everything. But again, I didn't want to put that barrier on myself of, oh, well, you can't start until you have all of the things that people say you should have. I was like, nah, I'm just going to get the bare minimum of what I can afford right now so that I can just start and then I can have an idea of where I'm going. So what made you decide to keep doing it? 
Because that's the thing, right? Sometimes it's about where does the idea come from, but also what encourages you to keep doing it? Is it discovering you have an audience? Is it just discovering that it's something that makes you feel good when you've completed it? Like where did the impetus for continuing to create things and, and make it grow come from? At the time, it was really I was just having a lot of fun experimenting and there were other people in the internet somewhere that were also enjoying it. Even if it was just like my aunt, who I love my aunt, and she continues to be like my top supporter to this day. I adore her. Um, but yeah, that was fun. And I mean, when you start, you can plan all you want to, but you probably don't know really where you're going to be going unless you've done it before. So it was really a matter of trying a bunch of different things. I talked about a lot of different random stuff that I would probably never consider talking about now, but even just doing that. And also I had been spending the last couple of years auditioning for other people to make stuff for them. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, look at these nice lights in my apartment. And like, I can make it. And ooh, I'm learning more. I had done some editing in the past, but not to the frequency that I was doing it for YouTube. And I was like, ooh. Ooh, I really like editing and just I enjoyed I love learning I love learning I'm such a nerd uh, I, I, <laughs> I I just I, I love it so much I love love falling down those research rabbit holes for sure something I had explored in theater actually a bit was being a dramaturg because it I you know you get to like sit in the library or sit in your apartment with a cup of tea and just inhale all of the information you possibly can and spit it out into an outline or whatever that looks like for you. I just love, I love research. I love, I love it. And the coolest thing about this is I could learn a bunch of stuff and then actually apply it almost immediately. So that was pretty great. So what became the trajectory as you were creating things? Did you find that just, oh, cool, my audience is growing? Or did you start to get opportunities to do other things based on what was happening? That sort of stuff really didn't happen until much, much later. I think it took me almost 10, I think it took me about 10 months to even get to 100 subscribers. So yeah, no one was really paying attention or anything and I was still having fun just experimenting and learning and you know about a year and a half after I was into it I invested in better editing software so I now use professional software for that which has been a whole other journey so probably not until the not until the two and a half year mark did people start reaching out to me or vice versa based on my work. I kind of discovered, oh, I am actually, I'm a really good producer. I have a couple of friends that are really, really talented humans. Why don't I produce a short for them? Or I've helped other friends that have projects get them off the ground in pre-production and then also helping them on set and in post-production because you have to learn such a wide variety of things. And if you've done it before and know how to organize stuff, know how to plan for stuff, know how to run an effective set, and then also no editing software and all of this other stuff. It's kind of really great. <laughs> so I started doing that and I still have some producing projects outside of YouTube in the works um, right now even. And then the really 
big stuff didn't start happening until this year, so the three-year mark. And one of them was I submitted to VidCon in their small creator, featured small creator thing to actually be on a panel, be a featured speaker at this like huge, ridiculous conference. And I won, which is bananas. And that happened. And a lot of opportunities have started to come from that. And also in like October-ish of last year, I started a podcast. And from the podcast, I had someone find me, asked to speak uh, at a convention and they also have their own tea business and from there i've now i've launched a collection with them and have lots of discussions on the future of the company and how i can be involved and things like that so it took a long time but yeah even within the last like six months i'd say things have really picked up a lot So that's after producing content for over three years. What about mentorship? Because I feel like, so the last time I saw you, there was all this stuff that was going on with you were like meeting up with people that you had seen on other YouTube channels or you were consuming their content through blogs or whatever have you. So you had to do that work yourself. You had to move past your own anxiety and send emails and messages to these these people because I something that I struggle with a lot is feeling like I don't have mentorships in the in these very niche roles that I want to do and a lot of times it's because they don't they just don't exist yet or because you know maybe a woman's never done it before and so I feel like I don't want a man to take me under his wing I you know I want to either just mow it down and do it myself or I want someone who at least understands the perspective that I'm coming to the table with so how did you decide like I'm just gonna start messaging these people that I aspire to be like or who inspire me in some way. Right. Um, And at that time, actually, is when a whole other whirlwind love part of my life was beginning as well. And I've actually gotten a lot more mentorship in voice acting, which is another thing that came out of this whole injury business. I was doing a speaking thing as like a modified duty for my job at the time. And someone was like, are you a voice actor? And I was like, no, but I really want to be. And they're like, great. They hooked me up with their teacher. They hooked me up all the things. And that I have been pursuing now for the last few years. And it's been brilliant because really it's music techniques. It's Shakespearean text approach. It's Stanislavski acting technique. It's literally everything that I love in one and just kind of being like hey on twitter let me know human if you'd like to get a cup of tea sometime and talk and chat and like people have been really open and i've met some of my like idols honestly thinking back i was like i can't believe i had tea with that person blows my freaking mind um and so like voice acting has been just this incredible thing that i kind of almost literally fell into (laughs) and that's been great but as far as the youtube space i don't really i haven't had until vidcon which was like only a month ago have met people who are more in sort of the mentor side of things. But what I have done that has helped a lot with the YouTube space 
is instead of going the mentorship route, because I just didn't have that at all until very, very recently, was going the camaraderie route. And I have since developed wonderful friendships with wonderful people who are also trying to do the same thing. So that has been very helpful. But now I'm in this kind of spot where I've met some really awesome people, some people that are very, very successful in the YouTube space. And then just having courage, but also having tact about like, you know, instead of saying, can you, can you just, can you fix, I don't know what I'm doing, uh, but just being genuine friends with people. And if they want to look at your stuff, awesome. And also not being too afraid to be like, hey, I had this video that I really liked that just didn't do so great. Would you mind taking a look at it if you have the time? So yeah, that's a, that's a whole thing too, because people that are successful doing something that other people look up to, I'm sure they get a lot of like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. Can you look at my stuff? Can you read my screenplay? <laughs> sort of thing. And, you know, I went in mind at VidCon. I was like, I just want to meet some cool humans. <laughs> like, hopefully, maybe I'll meet my people. And I did. And I had an awesome time. And they have been so, so generous already where I'm like, I just didn't expect. Uh, thank you. <laughs> so that's a struggle. That was a very long answer to that question that maybe I sort of answered. But, you know, podcast. Yeah. So how did you decide to do the podcast? Did that feel just like a natural extension of what you were already doing? Or was it like, I want to try this other thing, so I'm going to do it? Because that seems more like a Mary Lou sort of thing to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It kind of grew out of a need, which I've realized is how a lot of stuff has happened. Like, I was home miserable because I couldn't be on set. I wasn't exercising and I was sick of people telling me I was too fat to be a fashion model. And I was like, I need, I need to do something. And it was just very serendipitous that Kay had this project idea. And so I very hungrily jumped on it. And then I had had a particularly bad panic attack in October. I've been a long time anxiety and panic disorder sufferer. And the route that the news had been going at the time and world events and whatnot was literally paralyzing me from being a functioning human being. And I was like, this isn't right. I, I feel like I feel like I just need something that is a regular positive reinforcement that has things that are gonna lift me up and make me feel good. And I was like, why? Why don't I just make that thing? And Positivity, the podcast, uh, came out of it that way. That's awesome. Plus, I love a good pun, so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's so easy to make tea puns. It's dangerous. So now you're creating a regular weekly YouTube video plus a podcast plus you have like addendum video content right you do like live streams and things you were on twitch last weekend or during the week yeah so that's I mean I'm always evolving I suppose and also that's something that's coming out of a need so I was in the rhythm producing two complete high quality pieces of content a week for YouTube and then also recording the podcast in video form. So releasing it on audio and visual platforms. 
So that's three pieces of like full-blown, fully produced, edited content a week. And I was like, oh, oh, that's a lot for one human. So just recently, my sister-in-law, Liz, Liz Ryan, she's amazing and is also a post-production wizard. And she is going to be editing a video a week for me. And then also to lessen the load, but also do something that I just want, need to do. I have started live streaming on Twitch during the week and taking over my Sunday slot on YouTube by reading classic children and young adults books and drinking tea and playing my ukulele. So at this moment when we're recording this, I'm reading through The Wizard of Oz. So you are reading through The Wizard of Oz on your on your Twitch, which is cool. That's pretty cool. So you're on the podcast can be accessed through anywhere that you would normally get your podcast from, right? Yes. And you're on YouTube and you're now doing live streaming through Twitch. Am I missing a video or audio platform that you might be on? Uh, right. Because you would think. I mean, of course, like I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, the whole the whole shebang. But those are the main ones for right now. And to again fill that Sunday slot. It's like Tuesday and Thursday evenings. I'm on Twitch with that community and then encouraging that community to come over to my YouTube on Sundays where I'm live streaming essentially the same content, just streaming it through YouTube. And then therefore encouraging people that are with me on YouTube to come and hang out and tea party during the week, etc. So with streaming three times a week, plus a podcast, plus a regular scheduled episode. How many pieces of content is that a week? Like five? <laughs> but the editing was just getting too cumbersome for one person. And by bringing on help and also live streaming on Sundays, at least for a little while, is something that's working out great for right now. So I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna keep doing it because I love it. So can you have a a job and do these things or is this your job right now it's i'm still believe it or not in the weeds with the same injury so that's been a whole adventure like i've had to be home and whatnot and kind of using that as the spark of well you better get your butt in gear while you can <laughs> to make this happen so right now I'm not working a side job, but I am also not really bringing in a lot of income either. I am making money as a voice actor right now, but that is very sporadic sort of work. And I launched a tea collection, but I never actually really saw any of that income because it went right back into the company. So it's, I'm kind of, I feel like, I feel like this is the year of like springs. I feel like I just got a bunch of coils pulled back ready to the the spring forth, the catapulting year cuz yeah, I just feel like I have all of these things lined up. Some people have started to take notice of the podcast now and I'm nominated for a Wego Health Award for both the channel and the podcast and it's just it's been a very very slow process. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's been a bad process because I've always wanted to focus on doing what I really love and what I need to be doing, right? So, and I've always, I always wanted to, I never, I've never tried to make a viral video. Never tried to make a viral video. 
I would always have wanted to be focused on community first. The people that are watching and being a real human with them, whether it's in video or I have a Discord now, and just taking that community first approach. It is definitely the longer way to do things, but it's been so much more worthwhile because if I'm planning on at this point, being in it for the long haul, I'm really glad that I wasn't out there, I don't know, trying to do a fidget spinner video or something. I don't know, whatever was trendy at the time. <laughs> it's been it's been an adventure and it can feel a bit discouraging sometimes. You fall into the comparison trap and well, oh, this person only had their channel for X amount of time and they have this many subscribers, but it's like, you know what, but they're not they're not having my awesome tea parties and like that's cool. They're them, I'm me, and we're just doing the stuff. So so in the grand scheme of social media platforms, which can be daunting and don't always have the greatest effect on people's mental health, which is something we've discussed quite a bit here, it's important for you, would you say it's fair, that it's important for you to be positively contributing to that community? Oh, a thousand percent. Honestly, only within the last six months or so has it really clicked that I, my channel, the purpose has become more clear and the content that I create. It's creating a safe, positive space for cozy tea parties and for people to talk about things like mental health. I focus a lot on mental health and taking care of yourself because it's so important and also because it's what I need to freaking remember what to do and putting it out into the world and just being that, being a positive force. Yeah, it really, it's, it's become really, really important to me. Really important to me. So what would you say to somebody who was thinking about doing some work on these platforms, creating content for YouTube, doing live streaming on Twitch, or doing a podcast. And I'm not just saying that as someone who's starting a podcast. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would say, first of all, have it be rooted in something that you genuinely have interest or love in because you're going to be doing it a lot. It's going to take up a lot of your time. And, you know, I talk about tea and cozy living and positivity oh there we go again um which i really love and i certainly haven't gotten sick of yet and so have it be about something that you're genuinely genuinely passionate about and then know who you're doing it for and if that's yourself great if you're doing it so that you know all of the people your age and if they have kids, they can sit down and watch Tea Party together and maybe learn something fun or learn about a new game they can play together or whatever it is. Just have an idea of who you're making it for and it can help things really crystallize from just a perspective for yourself, but then also from like a research standpoint being smart about your approach to what you're doing in more of a business sort of sense. That may be a boring answer, but... <laughs> no, that's a. there's no such thing as boring answers. Plus, you're a very entertaining and interesting person, so your answers are never boring. Ah, uh, well, sorry, thank you. That's very nice. 
Do you have any YouTube channels that you still watch regularly that like inspire you or just fun for you to watch because they're nothing like your YouTube channel? Oh, yeah, definitely. I certainly, as someone in the YouTube space, I watch a lot of YouTube. I still really love watching Hannah Hart. Uh, She started by doing My Drunk Kitchen on YouTube. And I've actually since, I met her and hung out with her for quite some time at VidCon. I've even seen her in LA since then, uh, which is freaking crazy to me. She's very nice. She's very kind. And she now, her channel has grown into, she does a lot of LGBTQ plus sort of content. And she also focuses on trying to spread positive stuff. And I've been watching her since before I started my channel. I still watch Jenna Marbles. She's just so charmingly and unabashedly herself and makes what she wants to make. She And even if it's like, I just wanted to try to give myself a mustache with just for men this week. Why does it have to be just for men? Like even random things or she's like, I can't paint with a paintbrush. I'm going to try paint pouring or whatever. I'll watch anything Jenna makes probably. And then I'm also really inspired by more eco-focused channels. Like I love watching my friend Elsa Ray who lives in a 13 foot trailer all and you know they pack up their tiny tiny house and move it every two weeks and she's a a filmmaker and an artist and it's really really inspiring I, I love alternate sort of lifestyle channels minimalist tiny living etc I yeah I don't I definitely don't make content about I only have four teacups now which I do but yeah I just really love that kind of stuff so Mary it feels only fair for me to say where can people find you on the internet? Oh, no. <laughs> um, you can find me at Miss Mary Lou on YouTube. If you look for Tea Time with Mary, I'll pretty much pop up everywhere. <laughs> it's also Miss Mary Lou on Twitch, uh, Miss Mary Lou on Twitter and Instagram. Those pesky underscores are in there somewhere. But yeah, uh, most places, I'll, 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 I'm probably there. <laughs> And what about the podcast? The podcast, uh, Positivity Podcast, you can find on all major podcast platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and then also the full video produced version of the podcast on the Miss Mary Lou YouTube channel. Well, that was great. Thanks for coming on. I'm sorry I wasn't drinking tea. Oh, no, you're fine. I'm very slowly drinking this tea because I had a very exciting tea morning and I'm trying to not overdo it. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, you got it. Thanks for asking me to be on this podcast. I haven't actually really ruminated on my journey from point A to point. I don't even know what the heck it is now. (laughs) So it's been an interesting kind of like self-discovery sort of thing. So thanks for doing this. See, wasn't that a lot of fun? Mary is hilarious. And we always have a really good time chatting. So it was nice to catch up with her and also give her an opportunity to talk through all the stuff that she's done in her very young life. So hopefully you guys got something good out of that. I know I definitely did. If you would like to contact me about this episode or future episodes or past episodes, you can get at me on Twitter at the lady J says you can get at me on Instagram at the lady J slays, or you can always email me the old fashioned way. The lady J says at gmail.com. Don't forget to tune in next week and you can make sure that you do that by following us or subscribing, rating, reviewing, all that stuff that people always ask you to do. Because next week I'm joined by someone who has a very different job. He works at probably the most well-known university in all of America. So make sure you come back next week. I know I'll be here. Where will you be?